This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. This morning in the Bible, your Bible to uh, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, and we will begin reading from verse uh, 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? And one of those whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? They said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it, was, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's just... Stop there at this point. It was the first Easter Sunday. It was about mid-afternoon when these two, uh, Cleopas and a friend, were walking from Jerusalem to their hometown of Emmaus, which, as we see, was roughly about uh, seven miles. We don't know exactly who Cleopas was and the friend, other than they were two devoted disciples of Jesus. And because later on they both asked Jesus to stay at their house overnight, I think that we can assume, and maybe it implies, that they were perhaps husband and wife. That's all that we know, but regardless of who they were, in that respect, they were devoted disciples of Jesus. And they had been through the most traumatic event in their entire lives. They had been devoted followers of Jesus for just over three years, but in this past week or so, uh, it was just a terrible, horrible time. Because actually just a week before, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem riding upon a donkey in the fold of an ass, and crowds were out waving palm branches and shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and so forth. And yet within a week of that, They were shouting, crucify him, crucify him. 
And so they had probably seen the crucifixion of Christ, knew that for sure he was dead, and there he was in a tomb. And all their hopes and dreams were buried with him in that tomb, never to rise again, as far as they thought. Their hopes and their dreams was that he was the Messiah. They were absolutely convinced that he was the Messiah. But how could a Messiah allow himself to be crucified as a common criminal by the Romans whom they believed the Messiah would rid the country of them? And so they were absolutely uh, dumbfounded. They just could not understand how that could possibly be. And after three years of completely believing that he was the Messiah, suddenly within just a few days, their whole dreams and hopes were dashed and finished and over. Even to the point where they even didn't want to be around the disciples anymore. They had enough of that. They just couldn't handle that anymore. They just had to get away and get home. And while they were on the way, as we can see there, they were conversing with one another and reasoning about these things. And the, the original meaning was they were in deep, deep conversation. Because uh, understand that their minds were muddled. They, they couldn't, we would say they couldn't get their head around this. And there was a problem. They just did not understand. How can this be? How can the Messiah be dead? How could he die as a criminal? And so they were having this great conversation with each other as they walked that dusty road over those seven miles. And then we see how that Jesus, he comes along beside them. And to them, at this point, he is just a stranger. That's all he is. Their eyes were restrained that they could not see him as, he would no as they would normally have seen him. And in fact, in Mark 16, where it tells a little bit about this story, it says he appeared to them in another form. Remember that Jesus in his resurrection body had the ability to appear and disappear at will. In fact, he could walk right through walls and just be in, in there without opening doors. He had that ability. And remember the angels too. The Bible says that, that some have entertained angels unawares. So angels obviously has the ability, if they so desire, to appear just in human form. Yet they're an angel. We don't understand that, but it's true. It's biblical. And so Jesus pulls up alongside them. Their eyes were withholding. They didn't understand that it was Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus, if he had a want it, just could appear to them, uh, and they would have instantly recognized him as Jesus if he wanted to do that, but he didn't want to do that. Not yet. And there was a good reason for that. Good reason for them, and actually a good reason for us today. And so... Partly the reason was, and a big part of it was, I should say, is that he wanted them to walk by faith and not by sight. For three years, they had Jesus right beside them. They could speak to him. They could touch him. They ate with him. They conversed with him. They could see him. They could feel him. And so a lot of that three years, even though they had faith, but a lot of it, they were walking by sight. But when Jesus was removed from them, when they could no longer see him, where would their faith be? In fact, we see their faith was very, very weak at this point. In fact, it looked as if they had no faith left at all. They had no belief hardly left at all. They just, it was gone. So Jesus here is going to teach them how to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's the exact position that you and I are in today as believers. 
We don't have the physical form of Jesus before us, so we have to walk by faith and not by sight, as the Apostle Paul was to later uh, to say. And so, in, in John chapter 20, let me just read this a little bit. Remember Thomas and how that on the second Sunday after the resurrection, Thomas wasn't in the first meeting, but he came to the second one. Remember Thomas said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, unless I put my finger in them and touch my hands in his side, I will not believe. But the second Sunday, whenever they're all in the room and Thomas was with them this time, Jesus suddenly appeared and he said to Thomas, Thomas, come on. Put forth your finger. Come on, touch me. Put it in there. See, look. Don't be faithless but believing. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He didn't need to touch him. He realized who he was. And Jesus said to him, verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us today, isn't it? We have not seen, yet we have believed. And if I can just, uh, just read in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Peter said, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so Jesus is going to teach them something very, very important, something that we have to live by. And he said unto them, What kind of conversation is this that you have one with another as you walk and are sad? Sadness was written all over their faces. And why wouldn't they be sad? They'd lost the master. The one that all their hopes and dreams was pinned on was gone, and his cold, dead body was lying in a tomb in Jerusalem in their thinking. So no wonder they were heartbroken and sad. But Jesus here is asking questions that he already knows the answer, obviously, but he's teasing something out of them. So what is this that you're talking about, that you're sad, walking or sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened in these days? Now that, that, that was actually a wee bit sarcastic, wasn't it? But he was upset. You know, we would say, what planet are you from? That's what we would say. I mean, everybody in Jerusalem knows this. Are you the only one out of the masses that hasn't a clue what happened? I mean, this was incredulous to them. Of course, Jesus, they thought he knew nothing, but Jesus knew everything. Everything. They were the ones who knew nothing, by the way. You'll see that in a moment. And then he said to them, what things? So he's drawing this out of them. What things? So they said, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Now notice here, they didn't say who was the Messiah. That whole idea of Messiah is gone. As far as they're concerned, he couldn't have been the Messiah. We were mistaken. We had hoped. We believed. But we were mistaken. Messiah's dead. Messiahs don't die like that on a Roman cross. 
So they called him a prophet. The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that this was he who was going to redeem Israel. Now that is the words that they spoke that he wanted to draw from them. Because this was the heart of their problem. And it's the heart of many people's problem. They believed in a Messiah. They were wanting a sovereign. But he was going to be their savior. They wanted one that would redeem Israel. But he was going to redeem them individually. Yes, one day he will redeem Israel. In Romans 11, I think it's verse 26, Paul says, one day all Israel shall be saved nationally as a nation. But right now, it's individuals he's come to save. They could understand a Messiah who was a powerful figure. They could understand a Messiah who would come, who would rid them of the Romans, who would take charge, who would raise up an army, who would drive out the pagan Romans out of the Holy Land. They could understand that's what they wanted. But a suffering Messiah? A Messiah who would suffer and die? They had never even thought of that, even though Jesus had told them again and again that he was going to die, that he was going to suffer. But they blocked that out because that was not in their thinking. They had grown up to believe that the Messiah would come and he'd be a powerful, mighty man, but not that he would suffer and die on a Roman cross so cruelly and wickedly as that. They just could not even begin to think that. Notice what they said, how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. And that was true. The chief priests and the rulers did deliver him to the Romans to be crucified. And that's all they could see. They could not and did not see the hand of God in this. Are you still with me? They couldn't see the hand of God in this at all. Had they have understood and read Isaiah 53, as they should have, because they knew all these scriptures, but it didn't resonate with them because they weren't thinking right. In Isaiah 53, three times you see the hand of God in what happened to Christ. Verse 4, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief. And so all that happened to Jesus was in the plan of God. They just didn't see that. They didn't get that. And that's why they were hurting. And that's why they were so shattered and disappointed because in their minds, this shouldn't have happened. This shouldn't be so. But actually, it should be so. Jesus ought not the Son of Man suffer. All these, ought not this to happen. But they didn't get that. Well, over there in, in Acts uh, chapter 22. Sorry, Acts 2, I beg your pardon, not 22. Acts 2 and 22. 
Peter later on, of course, after Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, men of, Israel, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. But notice what Peter puts first. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken. And so he now realizes, as they all did, of course, later on, that this was actually in the very plan of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so he wants them to understand and wants us to understand, and hopefully we do understand, that Calvary was always in the mind of God for his son. You see, the reason why I say that is because there's preachers around the world today who denies that, who actually denies that. You know, we sang a song at the sunrise service with the Presbyterians this morning, you know, by, by the Gettys. And part of that song, actually, the Presbyterian Church in America, they will, not, they will not sing that song because it tells us that Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for us, the penalty for our sins. They don't believe that. And there's lots don't believe that. They think that's how awful that God would have his son crucified for us, for our sins. But actually, how wonderful that is. How loving a God would allow that to happen for our sakes. So that's what Jesus is trying to get them to, because at this point they just could not see that. And Jews around the world today can't see that either. They're still waiting for a Messiah to come, a powerful, mighty ruler to come. But they could not see Jesus because he died on the Roman cross. How could he be our Messiah? He died as a common criminal. That's what they would say. Isaiah 53, can't see it. Don't get it. Of course, there's a veil over their eyes at the moment. That's another story which we can't get into. But anyway, it's temporary. And then they said, And indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And certain of our women, of our company who arrived at the tomb early, astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying they had also seen a vision of angels. No, they actually saw angels, not a vision. But as far as they were concerned, you see, it was just idle words. They didn't believe him. Women, by the way, in those days, weren't even allowed to witness in a court of law. Thank God Christianity has changed all that. So they just didn't believe it. No, didn't believe a word of it. They said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And besides all this, it's the third day. So they remembered, yeah, Jesus did say something sometime, somewhere about he would die, but he would rise again the third day. But hey, it is the third day, and he's nowhere to be seen. He hasn't risen. So whether we mistook what he said, or else... He wasn't telling us the truth. But hey, he's not to be found. They look for him, but he's not there. Yes, some woman, they had a vision of angels, but nobody believes that. 
but it, you know, it was Peter. He went, he went, and he didn't even find him. So, uh, you know, this is this is the mindset. This is their unbelief coming through now. But Jesus, Apostle Paul, actually, in in First Corinthians. Chapter 15. Let me just mention this to you. First Corinthians chapter 15. On verse 1 to 3. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you which also you received, in which you stand, by which you are also saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve, and after that was seen by over 500 brethren at once. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures would that be he's talking about? Well, if you go over to Matthew chapter 12, let me just read this. Verse 38, And some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn them, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus gave the greatest sign to mankind that they would ever need and would ever get, and that is his resurrection. Just as Jonah was in that belly of that great fish, a a watery grave, as it were, and yet he came out of that. And just as Jesus would be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, but he would come out of that, he would rise again triumphant over the grave. Glory to God. And so Jesus here is trying to get them to see these wonderful truths that we need to see as well today. And so and I love this next part. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets has spoken. Now normally when the word fool is used in the Bible, it's it's a term that doesn't mean that you're an idiot normally. But it normally means it's to more to do with your character, your wickedness, evil. Psalm 14, when the fool has said in his heart there is no God. It's mainly a problem of the heart, by the way. Heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So Jesus said, in this instance, he said, oh, foolish ones. And he was referring to how they were thinking. And their thinking was all mixed up and confused. They, as I said earlier, they couldn't get their head around this. It didn't make any sense to them whatsoever. And the more they thought about it, the worse it got. They were more confused. But then he said, and slow of heart 
to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So there is a heart issue here. And it was an issue of unbelief. They did not believe all that the prophets had spoken. That he had spoken to them about, they did not believe. That the prophets spoke in the Old Testament, they didn't believe all of it. They missed the parts that they should have got. And they would not have been confused, and they would have understood why Jesus went to the cross. But they didn't believe that. They didn't get that. Old foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Later on that very night in Jerusalem, when all the disciples, plus these two and maybe others, were at the evening service, good thing to come out to the evening service on Sunday night. <laughs> Just thought I'd get a wee dig in there. <laughs> all right. Thomas missed that evening service. And boy, he missed a lot. He missed a lot. In the evening service says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. The law of the prophets and the Psalms are the writings. That is the Old Testament, the Hebrew Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Old Testament. That's all they had. <clears throat> Wouldn't you have loved that hour? Uh, how long does it take you, Raymond Clark, to walk eight miles, seven, eight miles, at a leisurely dander? Four hours. Four hours. So, so from here, if I was walking at my pace from here to, to Lurgan, it would take me four hours. Oh, well, uh, on the flat, uh, I suppose, uh, two hours. Two hours. That's better. Probably take me four hours right enough. Take you <laughs> 15 minutes probably, but take me four hours. Two hours. Imagine having Jesus opening up the scriptures for two hours. And maybe longer because they maybe stopped and had a, a bit of conversation. Well, what about this and what about that and what about the other? Two full hours of Jesus opening up the prophetic Old Testament scriptures to them and the Psalms and the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus opens up the scriptures. I, I can't say for sure, but I, I would imagine, I would imagine when it says Moses is talking about the first five books of the Bible, I would imagine Genesis 3.15 be the first thing. Where he, the seed of the woman, will bruise and crush the head of the serpent. I would imagine that's where he started. Do you know what that means? He would say, do you understand? That's talking about me. You see, he was right back there. One of the very first things Moses wrote down, that was right there. I, I'm the promised one, the seed that would come. And, and then perhaps in Genesis maybe 4 and verse 10, where, where, you remember how when Cain killed Abel and God said to him, where is your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And he says, Abel's blood cries out to me from the ground. And then in, he in Hebrews 12, it talks about this, the blood being sprinkled that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. 
Jesus' blood speaks of better things than Abel's blood. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance, for justice. Jesus' blood cried out for mercy for us. If Jesus had went to that cross and cried unto the Father for justice, we would have been all condemned to hell forever. But he cried out for mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I'm sure he took them to Genesis 22, where Abraham offered up his only son of promise, Isaac, on that altar. And how Isaac stood there and he says, Father, he says, look, here's the wood, here's the fire, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? My son, God will provide for himself a lamb. And Abraham took the knife to slay his son, believing that even if he did because he was a son of promise, that God would raise them up. It says on Hebrews, he would resurrect and raise them up. That's how much faith Abraham had. And as he's about to do that, God says, no, no, I know, I trust you. But look, you see, there's a ram caught in a thicket. I provided myself that sacrifice. I know that Isaac is a type of Christ, but... Christ wasn't spared, sure he wasn't. Christ was the ram caught in the thicket. He was the one who was slain. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. I'm sure he mentioned Joseph as a type of Christ and how that he was sold for a handful of pieces of silver by his own brethren, just the way Jesus was by his brethren, the Jews, for 30 pieces of silver. He must have took them into Exodus. You know, we've been, we have been in Exodus for weeks now, talking about Moses, haven't we? But he must have took them to Exodus. Surely, surely he must have talked about the Passover lamb. Eh? He must have told them, hey, listen, do you know, that's me. I'm your Passover lamb. I'm the one who was slain for you. I'm the one who took the judgment that was to come upon you. He must have told them that. He must have told him of Moses striking that rock and the water gushing out. That Paul said that rock that followed them was Christ. It was a type of Christ because he's the water of life, isn't it? He must have told him about the serpent on the pole. They're all bitten by those fiery snakes and they had to make a serpent put it in the pole. And everybody that looked, everybody that looked lived. And if we look at the cross, we'll live too must have showed them about the high priest garments. And every single piece on his garment, all those precious stones, uh, you know, his mitre and his girdle and his ephod and the, the bottom of his skirt, the pomegranates and the bells, all of that, even the very colors, the materials, all of it speaks of Christ, all of it. All of it. He, he must have told them about the tabernacle in the wilderness. You know, in the tabernacle, just how it was built, how it was laid out, how the pieces of furniture were laid out, and the exact shape of a cross. When you, when you went into the tabernacle, there was the first thing was the brazen altar where the animals were slain for sacrifice. And then just straight forward was the, was the lever, the bronze lever, the brass lever, where the priests washed, had to wash themselves continually. And then you go into the holy place and to your left is the seven branch candlestick and to the right is the table of showbread the twelve loaves and then straight ahead is the golden altar of incense 
And in that great veil that only the high priest could go beyond once a year, and how beyond that then was the, the Ark of the Covenant that was overlaid with that beautiful golden lid with the two cherubim with their wings spread looking down on the mercy seat. And in the box was the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments where the law was and an orange rod that bought it and the golden pot of manna. And all of this speaks of Christ, all of it. And, and if you were to look down on that, you would see that's the shape of a cross. And that, that altar of sacrifice, you know, that's at the very... That's, that speaks of Christ. That speaks of, of giving his life. That speaks of the blood being shed. And that's at the very bottom, isn't it? You know, if you think of this as Christ on a cross, that's at the very bottom where the blood was shed. But if you look right into the holiest of holies, that's where the kind of glory of God was. That's where the glory was. And Christ is in his glory today. And the, and the labor, you know, the, the, the first thing speaks of salvation. The labor speaks of sanctification. The, water of the, wa the washing of the water of the word cleanses us daily on a daily basis. And then as you go into that holy place, of course, the seven branch candlestick stick, that speaks of Jesus being the light of the word and the unity, the seven branches, they were all carved out of one piece. And then, of course, to the right then was the table of showbread. He's the bread of life and we feast on him. And then the golden altar of incense, that speaks of him too, because that speaks of intercession, prayers going up, and he is our great high priest, isn't he? He's the one who intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. And then, of course, the great veil. You know, later on in the temple when Jesus was literally being crucified, that veil was rent from top to bottom, signifying that the way now into the holiest of holies was now clear for us to go. Uh, and that renting signified his body was rent for us to go through. And then, of course, the ark. What a wonderful thing that is, eh? The mercy seat. The very lid is called the mercy seat, the place where we can come. And, and so I'm sure that Jesus explained all of this to these, these two and told them and showed them this was talking about him, the seven feasts of Jehovah, seven of them. You know that Jesus died on the Jewish feast of Passover, he was buried on the Jewish feast of unleavened bread. He rose again on the Jewish feast of first fruits. He sent his promised Holy Spirit on the Jewish feast of Pentecost. All of it speaks of him. The five offerings, burnt offering, meat offering, sin offering, trespass offering, peace offering, five of them. Because one wasn't enough to fully show who he was. So God gave five of them. All of this was to speak to the nation, but the one who was to come, but they couldn't see it. Joshua was a type of Christ, wasn't he? Joshua was the one who took them into the promised land. Moses couldn't do it. We talked about that last week. But Moses was a type of the law, and the law could not take us right in. It had to be Joshua, standing for grace. Joshua, that's where Jesus gets his name from, Yeshua. Huh. What about the Psalms? He must have took them to the Psalms. He must have took them to Psalm 22 because that's the one he cried from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He must have took them to Psalm 22 and Psalm 23, huh. the shepherd Psalm, because he's the good shepherd. 
He's the great shepherd. He's the chief shepherd. Psalm 24 is the, you know, Psalm 22 is the cross. Psalm 23 is the crook. Psalm 24 is the crown. He must have showed them his great glory. When you read the end of Psalm 24, who is this king? Open wide the gates, let him in. He's the king of glory. Son of a Christ, isn't it? Psalm 69, Psalm 41, Psalm 34. All these are messianic psalms talking about Christ on the cross, giving him vinegar and so forth, parting his garment, parting his raiments. All of this was written beforehand. What about the prophets? Isaiah 53, we read it. Isaiah 9 and 6, you know it so well, you see it in your Christmas cards. Hmm? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Hmm? And his name shall be called, so forth and so on. All speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah 11 and 12, betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. How accurate is all these things? Micah 5 and 2, even to where he was to be born. All of this and much, much more in those two hours, he must have just shared his heart with them. Wouldn't you love to have been at the feet of the teacher when he was doing that? But do you know what? Do you know what? He sent his Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Holy Spirit is our teacher. It's the Holy Spirit who teaches us from his word. Jesus is not going to come in the flesh and do it. But he sent one just like him to do it, who lives within us. So if we don't understand the word, ask the Holy Spirit, the author of this book, to show it to us. And he will. He'll quicken it to your heart. I love what old John G. Butler said. The foreshadows of Christ are observed in the historical books from Genesis to Esther. The feelings of Christ are expressed in the poetical books from Job to Song of Solomon. The foretellings of Christ are given in the prophetical books from Isaiah to Malachi. The facts of Christ are recorded in the four Gospels. The followers of Christ are seen in the book of Acts. The fruits of Christ are written in the epistles from Romans to Jude. And the future of Christ is found in Revelation. <laughs> from cover to cover, every book of the Bible speaks. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Hmm. And then they drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him. It literally means that they took hold of him. Didn't want to let him go. They didn't know who he was at this point. But they had never, ever heard anybody expound scriptures like this. I mean, their hearts were just fully open now, and they just wanted more, and they just held him. They constrained him. They said, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. The day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Well, that was, you could say, well, that was Eastern hospitality. That would be customary to do that, yes. But it was more than that with these two. They really, really wanted him to stay. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Now whether, whether this was just part of the, the general meal they were having, or whether this was a special moment, like he did in the upper room, when he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. He broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they knew him. Instantly, instantly, God removed the scales. 
and suddenly they knew him. But note this, and he vanished out of their sight. Just the moment they knew him, and just at the very moment when they probably would have wanted to embrace him and hug him and rejoice and shout hallelujah at that moment, he just disappeared. Why? Because he wanted them to walk by faith, not by sight. No longer would they know him through the flesh. Now they would know him through the spirit and through the word. And that's where every one of us are today. We don't know him through the flesh. We have never seen him. But we know him through his word and through his spirit as we devote our time to him. This is what he needed to do with them. And this is what we need today. And they said to one another, and here's the title of my message, Holy Heartburn. They said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Now that's good heartburn, isn't it? Some of us go to bed at night after having a curry and you're looking for the Gaviscon and the Alka-Seltzer and the Rennies, you're feeding them into yourself because your guts has been burnt out of you. But this is holy heartburn. This is thinking of the scriptures. Some nights I go to bed and I cannot sleep because my mind is full of stuff, good stuff, scriptures. The worst thing I do is when I go to bed at night I start to think about the scriptures because then I'm beat because then I got holy heartburn. Actually, it's a good thing to do. And I would encourage you to do it. Get holy heartburn. Read the scriptures. Get them inside of you. Eat them up. Eat the scroll. It'll feed you. It'll strengthen you. Your mind will become alive. But note this, and we're closing. So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened to them on the road, how he had been known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. <laughs> you know, they had been so disillusioned that they left Jerusalem, and they left their disciples' friends, and they left all of that behind, and they didn't want to meet anymore just to go home. But now they're so excited. They can't wait to get back. And it's the first Sunday night meeting. <laughs> I'll say it again. The first <laughs> Sunday night meeting that we love so much in here. And here, as they begin to tell their story, suddenly Jesus just appears. Didn't open any door. He just just appeared. Yeah. Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and suppose they had seen a spirit and they said to them, why are you troubled? Why did doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that as I myself handle me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they did not, still did not believe for joy this time and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb and he took it and ate in their presence. They said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Thomas wasn't there that night. He missed he missed the opening of all those scriptures. I mean, he just missed it. Thankfully, he was there the next Sunday night. 
Then he said to him, Thus it was written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. See what he's, see what he's stressing? The resurrection? Yeah. You know, that was the main plank of the gospel message for the early church. It's all he talked about. You read Peter's sermons in the book of Acts. See what he says about the resurrection. He was full of it. Preach to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Then he took them out to Bethany, and then he left, went, gone. Praise what a wonderful Savior. What a glorious resurrection. Then the disciples got it. Then they really got it. Then that Old Testament became alive to them. And when Peter goes out and preaches his first sermon, you see how much Scripture's in that. It just flows out of him. It just flows. Because now he gets it, he understands it. Everything he reads is just jumping out of the page at him. I told you the other week, you just read the book of Leviticus, and you can't wait to get through it. You're bored reading it because you don't understand it. But if you see Christ in it, that's one of the greatest books in the Old Testament. Because Christ is in every page of it. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that your son came and lived and died in this earth for us. But not only that, but he rose again, that we might live, that we might have a resurrection in our lives. Not even just a spiritual one, but a physical one someday because we are in Christ Jesus. So we give you thanks, Lord, for your word that inspires us, encourages yeah. us, and challenges us. We love it, Lord. We love it. Thank you for it in Christ's name today. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.